The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 120, 0 through 2, and 6 through 7. A pilgrimage song. I cried out to the Lord when I was in trouble, and he answered me. Lord, deliver me from lying lips and a dishonest tongue. I've lived far too long with people who hate peace. I'm for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Dan. The New Testament reading is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. Dear friends, since you are immigrants and strangers in the world, I urge that you avoid worldly desires that wage war against your lives. Live honorably among the unbelievers. Today, they defame you as if you were doing evil. But in the day when God visits to judge, they will glorify him because they have observed your honorable deeds. The word of the Lord. Good morning. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke chapter 2, verses 39 to 42. And my name is Pam. When Mary and Joseph had completed everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to their hometown, Nazareth, in Galilee. The child grew up and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Each year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to their custom. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of God, would you breathe on us today as we open and hear and receive and study your scriptures? And may what Luke wrote of Jesus be true of us. May we grow in wisdom. May we grow in stature in our faith. May we grow in our understanding of the abundant favor that you have poured out upon us in Jesus. Speak to us today. We, your servants, your children, your daughters, your sons, your image bearers, we are listening, longing, yearning for your voice. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. This is amazing. It's so good to see everyone. Uh, thank you again for making the adjustment to one service uh, for the summer. As Jay said, our goal is to beat the heat and to be together, uh, and we already beat the heat without even having to do much uh, this morning. But I appreciate uh, 9 o'clock, you coming a little bit later, 11 o'clock, those of you coming uh, a lot earlier, those of you that uh, you know the communication didn't get to for some reason, thank you for being gracious with us. We had a few speed bumps 
uh, in the communication and those things. We'll keep working on those uh, throughout the week today. But thank you for uh, your willingness to jump in and to try this for the summer and uh, your graciousness with us in all of those uh, little hiccups along the way. Uh, today is Trinity Sunday. It's the day in the church calendar where we remember uh, that our God is one God in three persons. Last week, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday, the sending of the Spirit. And then the church follows that right up with Trinity Sunday, recognizing that we serve a God who lives forever in the divine love of three persons, one God and three equal, uh, inseparable, co-equal, co-eternal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is divine love at the very core of the Trinity, and what we're invited into as followers of Jesus is into the participation of that divine love. And so on this Trinity Sunday, we hold that in mind, that our God is community, who is one, and who invites us in to his love, the love that's shared forever between Father, Son, and Spirit. And if you're visiting today, we want to welcome you once again. Thanks for joining us, especially if you missed that 9.30 uh, service time. But as you're here and maybe new to the city or new to the church, if there's any way that we can help you to navigate the city or to get connected, please let me know. We're beginning a new series this morning, a series in the summer through the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 123 through Psalm 134. We won't cover all of the Psalms. We'll skip around a little bit. We'll cover nine or 10 of the 15 during the summer. But the Songs of Ascent are a collection of 15 songs that are tied together through a a shared superscription, through a kind of heading or title that is placed in front of each one of those Psalms. That heading says, the Songs of the Going Up or the songs of the ascent, or in some translations, sorry, the songs of pilgrimage. These songs, these 15 songs, would have been the playlist that accompanied Israel on their way up to Jerusalem. Songs that they sang over and over again, and subsequently reminded them of their journey, reminded them of all of the years that they went from wherever they were living up to that place. Songs have a way of doing that for us, right? They have a way of connecting us to moments or to places or to road trips. I cannot hear Bon Jovi's Blaze of Glory uh, from the Young Guns 2 soundtrack without being transported to my fifth grade field trip to the Iowa State Capitol. I don't know why I was so into Bon Jovi, but I just sat there on the bus going, yes, shot down in a blaze of glory. It's like, I hope the bus doesn't go through this, but, or there's a a song for Sarah and I, when we were moving from Tulsa to go to seminary in Kentucky, my friend made us a mixtape, you know, when we used to do those. Um, It was a mixed CD at that time. And the very first song was a song called The Adventure by Angels and Airwaves. And every time I hear that song, I'm back in the car just crying as we're pulling out of Tulsa and heading to seminaries, these newlyweds going, what are we thinking? What are we doing? Most scholars believe that these songs were sung by the Israelites as they made their way up to Jerusalem for three annual pilgrimage feasts. 
that in the Old Testament, all of Israel is commanded three times a year to journey from wherever they're living up to Jerusalem. They would travel for Passover in the spring to remember and to celebrate their exodus out of Egypt. They would travel again seven weeks later to celebrate Pentecost. And for us, we think about that primarily in relationship to the sending of the Spirit. But for them, it was the covenant, the covenant ceremony at Mount Sinai, the giving of the law, that they were rescued from Egypt. And then God brought them into covenant, into relationship, and gave them the Torah, gave them the law as a way of saying, this is what it means to be in relationship with me. And then again in the fall, they would travel back to celebrate tabernacles, the remembering of their wandering in the wilderness before they were led into the promised land. In our gospel reading, we saw that Mary and Joseph and Jesus, this was their custom to travel up to Jerusalem, to go on these annual pilgrimage feasts, these annual celebrations. When you look at the Gospels, we see over and over again just how Jewish Jesus was. He's a first century Jew, which means despite all of the conversations about Jesus not being religious, he was very religious. <laughs> Their life was ordered around community. It was ordered around faith. He went to the synagogue as was his custom. He celebrated Sabbath as was his custom. He traveled to Jerusalem with his family as was his custom. He just knew that religion in its best form is an avenue to relationship, not an end all to be all, but actually a trellis that helps us to live in relationship with God. And so Jesus made this trip. So he sang these songs. The Psalms are Jesus's prayer book. They're his hymn book. They're the words that were constantly on his lips as a kid and as a young man and as a grown-up. As he's making these trips, he and his disciples would have been singing these songs, praying these prayers. And it was always a journey up. Jerusalem was built up in the Judean mountains, not mountains like we consider them. You know, the peaks are 3,000, not 14,000, so we can, you know, have some snobbery about that. But they were mountains to them, and there were no roads. You know, they're walking the whole time uh, up. But it, Jerusalem was a city on a hill, so it was literally an ascent to get up to the city. And because of that, the Psalms of Ascent also became a metaphor for an upward movement toward God a pilgrimage, a journey, an ascent to God himself. This metaphor became very popular about 40 years ago uh, when Eugene Peterson wrote this book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction. How many of you read this before? This is my copy I read about 20 years ago. They just came out with another one. But Eugene takes these psalms and unpacks them as a way of thinking about discipleship in an instant society to see the psalms of ascent, the journey toward God as a metaphor for the life of faith. If you're looking for recognition recommended summer reading, read Psalms 120 through 134, pray these prayers, and journey along with Eugene in the process. But Psalm 120, the whole collection begins this way. I cried out to the Lord when I was in trouble, and he answered me. I cried out to the Lord when I was in trouble, and he answered me. What's really interesting about this psalm is that the word order is really different in the original language. In the original language, it doesn't begin with, I cried out. The original song begins with, to Yahweh, to the Lord. 
the immediate emphasis of the psalm is on God. God is the focus of the psalmist's attention. God is the recipient of the psalmist's prayer. And as the first words in this collection of 15 songs, they would have accompanied Israel on their pilgrimage. These two words establish the direction and the destination for the pilgrims' lives, their journey, their faith, their affection. These two words, to the Lord, to Yahweh, to God, remind them where they are going. Their pilgrimage is a going to God. The other Psalms of Ascent will refer to the city or to Zion or name Jerusalem, but the opening verse, the opening line, the opening words establish for all the Israelite pilgrims exactly where they are going. They are going to the place that God is. They're going to the place that God dwells. And for them, it's not going to God in a general sense. It's not going to, on a spiritual sort of discovery, a determining of like, I'm just venturing into the divine. They're going to a particular God who's taken up residence in a particular place, and there are particular paths that will lead them there. They know these roads. They know where to find God. God has made himself present and available. He has come near to them. And now they are saying, we're going to the God who has come near to us. Jeremiah calls these the ancient paths, the ancient roads. Jeremiah 6.16, the Lord proclaims, stop at the crossroads and look around and ask for the ancient paths. Ask, where is the good way? Where's the road that leads to the good life? And then walk in that one, because there you'll find a resting place for yourselves. Jeremiah encourages us whenever we're at any crossroad in life, any moment that we come to places of major decision or major crisis, when we know that life could go this way or that way, when we're considering how to live, when we're asking ourselves, what is the good way? What is the good life? What is the way that leads to life? The prophet encourages us to take the roads most traveled, to go on the paths that have already been paved for us, to walk the old ways, to go along the tried and true trails, to follow the paths that were taken by our ancestors in the faith, those that have come before us. Because the prophet says that those paths will lead to rest. Those paths will lead to a quiet for our souls. Those paths of prayer and worship and fasting and Sabbath and silence and solitude and scripture, those paths those long-worn paths of community and confession and discernment, those long paths of seeking after God and longing for the Spirit, those long paths of saying, Jesus, I want to walk in your way, those long-taken roads, those overrun or those like pushed-down paths of saying, I'm going to follow in the way of Jesus, those ways will lead to the kind of quiet that we're all looking for. For honest, there's a, an unsettledness in the human soul. And we look all kinds of places to find a settling in us. 
an answer for our restlessness, an answer for our weariness, a place that we can actually feel safe and secure and known and loved. And the psalmist and the prophets and Jesus himself says that can only be found in God. And so take the well-known paths that lead to him. St. Augustine said it this way. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. By opening the collection, these 15 songs, by opening the collection with this psalm, and by opening with these words to the Lord, to Yahweh, the pilgrim's past and the pilgrim's present are reminded that our pilgrimage is a going to God. That this is what the journey of the Christian faith is. It is a pilgrimage to God, to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's going to Jesus, going with the Spirit, pursuing the triune God in our lives. So much of our lives are spent trying to get somewhere. It's like, where are we going and how are we going to get there? If I think back even along the restlessness in my own life, how do I get out of Iowa? <laughs> if I can just get out of college, then this will change. Once I get married, then this will change. Once I graduate seminary, then this will change. When I have kids, then this will change. If I can get out of this job, this will change. And everything is about, if I could just get out of this or get to that, then I think and believe that suddenly being in a new place or in a new position or having a new status will actually settle my soul. And what turns out is I take all my baggage with me. <laughs> Take it all into that next season, all into the next, the next place. And realize, actually, those things were good arrivals along the way, but they weren't the settling that my soul needed. The settling for my soul is found only in the presence of God. The scriptures teach us to go in one direction, to go to God, to set our hope, our pursuit our longing, our desire, our affection, our direction to orient our entire lives to God, to Yahweh. And then to know that this is going to be a long journey, a lifelong journey. So I love the title of Eugene's book. He borrows a quote from Nietzsche, a long obedience in the same direction. That when we come to the end of our lives, the hope is that we can look back and say, oh yes, I followed the old path for a very, very, very long time. A long obedience in the same direction. But this is, of course, not where the psalmist or our journey begins. It doesn't begin in the presence of God. It begins in distress in trouble, in exile, outside of Eden. The psalmist says, I cried out to the Lord when I was in trouble. When I was in distress, the psalmist's distress here is particularly social. He says, Lord, deliver me from lying lips and a dishonest tongue, from a community of people where he's facing false accusations, where his character is being slandered. He goes on, he says, I'm doomed because I've been an immigrant in Meshach, because I have made my home in Kadar's tents. I've lived too far, too long with people who hate peace. I'm for peace. It's what I long for. It's what I want. 
Yet when I speak, they're for war. These two place names that he mentions are in opposite directions. It's not actually in either physical space. One is north by the Black Sea. The other one is south in the Arabian Desert. It refers to some nomadic tribes there. But in the prophets, these two groups, Meshach and Kedar, are violent, oppressive, hostile strangers. They're enemies. They're people who set themselves against God and God's people and God's ways. And the psalmist looks around and says, I'm amongst those people. This is where I found myself as an immigrant, as a stranger. It's the same word that Peter used in our gospel reading, as an immigrant, as a stranger, as a foreigner in this world, as those whose home is not here, but whose home is actually in the presence of God. The psalmist says, I look all around and I long for peace. I long for shalom. I long for well-being. I long for wholeness. I want healing. I want things to work to work. I want my relationships to be covered with the Spirit. I want all of these things for my life and my family and my friends and my work and my community and my city and my church and my world and my state. And I want, I'm longing, God, for everything to flourish, for things to be as you intended them to be, to be as you designed them and as you're going to make them. And I want to live fully and rightly with you and with others and with the world and in myself. But the psalmist looks around and says, nobody else wants this. I'm for flourishing and everyone else seems to be about destruction. They want conflict and drama and disruption and division. He looks around and everyone's looking for a fight. Everyone's looking for a way to win, whatever the cost, looking out for number one. And he's looking around and goes, is there no one else that longs for peace? Social distress is, of course, not the only distress, not the only trouble. The other Psalms refer to the general distress of living in the world, of living in fallen creation where there's disasters and disease and accidents and aging, or the distress of sin, the trouble we get ourselves into, the trouble of our own making. Most of us, if we were to talk about our trouble, it's some combination of all three of them. It's the things that are happening from others, the decisions that we've made, and just the world that we live in and the brokenness that we experience. The psalmist says that in distress, in trouble, call out to God. Direct, redirect all attention, all affection, all direction to him. The pilgrim prays and sets out on their sojourn saying to God, to Yahweh crying, longing, looking for deliverance. He says, I'm doomed. Deliver me. Rescue me. In my distress, I called out to the Lord, deliver me, because if you don't deliver me, I'm doomed. I'm toast. It's the honest cry of a weary soul. Somebody who's tired and just wants out of the situation they're in. Wants change, wants transformation, wants peace. We know that cry. We've all been there. Most of us are there right now. Saying, yeah, that's my cry. If this doesn't change at work, if this doesn't change in my marriage, if this doesn't change in my family of origin, if this doesn't change with my finances, if this doesn't change with my health, if this doesn't change here, I feel like I'm just doomed. If this doesn't change with the country, if this doesn't change 
in this situation over there, if this doesn't change, I'm doomed. And the psalmist invites us to ask, where do we turn in those moments? When we feel life is crushing us, when we feel underwater, when we're experiencing trouble and despair, where do we turn? Where do we orient ourselves? I know for me, my first step in every single one of those moments is to just look in and say, okay, what do I need to do? I'm gonna fix it. I get stressed and I close in. I isolate myself from the people that love me. I isolate myself from the help that I need. I isolate myself from God. It's like, God, I'll talk to you when I get this all figured out. Anybody else? And the psalmist says, no, no, no. The very first words out of our mouth should be to God. To God. That our true yearning, the true thing that we need is the rescue of God. Not, not our own strength, our own wisdom, our own way to figure it out, our own this or that, or this the chain. Our yearning is for the rescue of God. And the psalmist says on the journey, say to Yahweh and then cry out in distress. Cry out to the one who cares. Cry out to the one who hears. Cry out to the one that answers. The original writer and the traveler begin in distress, but both end in deliverance. Says, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me. But both live in between. They live between distress and deliverance. And so do we. This is where we live most of our lives. Experiencing deliverance and experiencing distress at the same time. We live between promise and fulfillment. Between our prayers and God's responses. We live between joy and between sorrow. We live between a world that is being made new and a world that's crying out for redemption. We live in bodies that are being renewed in the image of God and those that are dying, crying out to be resurrected. We live as immigrants and as strangers, those on a journey. We know that this situation is not our home, but we also know that we haven't arrived at the place that we belong because we live our lives on the ascent, on the journey, we experience a mix of both. Leslie Allen, the commentator, says that when we think about these parallel opposites, joy and sorrow and, um, and any of those other things, the hope and distress, both are equally valid and yet unresolved. And this is where we live our lives. And the psalmist says, I cried out in that moment, I cried out to the Lord when I was in trouble and he answered me. Interestingly, the psalmist doesn't say anything about how or when Yahweh answered. The song details nothing about the deliverance. It says he answered me and then the rest of the psalm is talking about all the problems, <laughs> all of the distress. And yet he's confident that God has answered. He's confident that the Lord has answered. And this is the confidence that we actually have as believers. That when we lift up our prayers, when we set out on our journey, when we walk the life of faith, we live with the confidence that God has already answered and that he will answer. And what we know from Jesus is that God answers by coming to us. This is the unique way in which God answers us over and over again, is he answers by drawing near. He answers by coming to us as the band comes forward. As we think about going to God, 
And as we yearn for him, as we recognize our need for rescue, we come to realize at some point in our walk with Jesus that the Christian pilgrimage is altogether different than every other faith pilgrimage in the world and in history. Because our pilgrimage is not an inward one. It's not a way of trying to discover or to find our true selves. Though certainly God will reveal that to us along the way. It's not even really a pilgrimage upward to find or to reach God. Though there is a metaphor of that. The Psalms depict that. And there is a sense that we are starting in one place and going to another. But what we learn over the course of time is that our pilgrimage is not the most important pilgrimage in the scriptures. The scriptures are ultimately about the pilgrimage of our God. The most stunning journey that we find in the scriptures is the journey of God in Jesus. The God revealed in the person of Christ who comes in search of us, who comes to find us, who travels to us, who comes over and over and over again to our rescue, to our side, to wherever we are, and then walks with us to the place that we're going. Yes, our pilgrimage is a journey to God, but it's more importantly a journey with God, to God. One that he joins us in, comes alongside and accompanies us and guides us and strengthens us and helps us and directs us and heals us and meets us in every moment and walks through every trial with us. Many of us are here today and we would say that we're looking for God. We're looking for him. But I have good news for you. God's looking for you too. He's looking for you too. You're like, I'm, I'm coming here because I want to come to Jesus. I have good news for you. He's already come to you. And he's going to keep coming to you. He's going to keep coming. In fact, he's already here. And whatever pilgrimage you're on, and whatever place you find yourself in the journey and life of faith, he's with you. He's come to you. He's walking with you and he will go with you the entire journey. This is who our God is. And our longing and our prayer is say, we want to go to you, God, but also we want to know how you've come to us. Give us eyes to see how you're with us in this journey of faith. Would you take a few moments as we prepare to come to the table and would you ask Jesus, would you ask the Spirit of God, say, Jesus, would you reveal to me today how you've already come to me? Would you reveal where you are in my life? And would you orient my heart that the first words of my prayer might be to God, to the God who's come to me, to the God who's come to us.
table, of course, is the great depiction of Jesus is coming after us. Jesus, his pilgrimage, his journey of taking on flesh, becoming flesh and blood and moving into the neighborhood. And it's also a moment where we come to the one who's come to us, where we say to Jesus, to God, that's where I'm going. We come here every service. Is at the end of the day, this is the most important part of our gathering is us coming to the one who's come to us. This is his table. All who believe that Jesus is the true king of the world are invited to come here to receive his invitation, to receive his body and blood regardless of your church background or affiliation. If that doesn't describe you, if you're here going, I'm still not sure about this, thanks for being here. We're honored that you're here and we encourage you to keep coming, keep asking questions, but maybe today, You're like, I've been coming to God and now I realize he's come to me and I want to say yes to this Jesus. I want to follow him. I want the first words of my heart to be to God. I'm really yearning for his rescue. Then you're welcome to join us. We're gonna confess our sin. We're gonna ask for forgiveness. We're gonna cry out to God. We're gonna trust him for deliverance. That he's gonna meet us in whatever distress that we're in today. So let's join together in crying out to him. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Friends, it's my joy to announce good news to you, the good news of the gospel, words that are true because of what God has done in Jesus. So would you open up your hands once again and receive the mercy of God in the name of Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. And the peace of the Lord be with you. As those have been raised to new life in Jesus, would you stand and greet those around you and share the peace that you have in him with one another. Well, friends, Jesus is here. So lift up your hearts. Let's give thanks to the Lord our God. All of the room, would you thank him for being the God who comes after us, the God who comes to us? Oh, it is such a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, our God, our Father, the one who formed us in your image who breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. He came to us to rescue us, to deliver us, and to walk with us. And on the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord, he took bread. When he had blessed it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given it to them, he gave thanks and gave it to them. And he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. So whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of God's mighty acts in Jesus, we proclaim together the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. The table is not only a place of remembrance, but it's also a place of encounter where we long for, yearn for, wait and expect the Spirit of God to meet us. So during the summer, we're gonna sing our prayer, asking the Spirit to meet us this morning. Would you join the worship team in singing Holy Spirit, come. Here it comes. Let's sing that together. Oh. 